Well, we're in a, a series, as you guys know, and uh, we're working through the book of James. And, and every uh, week, I'm surprised at the next section, not surprised because I've read it a lot of times, but, uh, but reminded of how intense this book is. And, uh, and so, there, hence the, the title that we've given it, Tough Love. And so this morning, we're addressing another challenging topic. And the, the, the topic is dealing with what authentic, what real faith is. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've, I've often just wondered the question, uh, is, is heaven going to be more full than we think, or are we going to be surprised at how sparsely populated it is? is there, are, are we going to be, like the question, a deeper question is, how many people are genuinely saved? How many people are genuinely saved? There's texts that, that, that make me uh, question what that will look like. Will there be more people in heaven than we assume or less? Matthew seven thirteen through 14 says, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." Those who find it are few. You see, the, the truth is, the, throughout the New Testament, it's real clear that but it's by simple faith alone that one comes into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you're all familiar with this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, right? It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the qualifier for someone being saved is simply faith in Jesus Christ. But the deeper question isn't just whether that's the, that's the root, if that's, if that's it, the faith that saves us, but what actually qualifies as saving faith? What actually qualifies as saving faith? And this morning we're going to see in our text in James, he paints a pretty clear picture of what saving faith actually is. I love this quote. It says, we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Again, we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone because there's a partnership we're going to see in the text here this morning. And I think this is healthy for us as a church on occasion to, to pause and make sure that we're in the faith. In fact, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine, this is Paul speaking, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And that's, the, that's my prayer here this morning, and it's not because I'm sitting in my office and thinking, man, this is a room packed with uh, false believers. It's basically because we move to the next section in James, and that's what it's talking about. So, so hear, me, hear my heart on that. But I do think it's healthy for us to ask some of those questions. Because the truth is, all of the things that stress us out, all of the fears and the worries and whatnot in this life pale in comparison to discovering upon our death that we have taken refuge in a faith that's false. All of our, all of our fears, all of the anxieties, all of that pales in comparison to upon death realizing that we had put our, our, that we have a false faith, that we don't have a genuine faith. That's why the text dives into this topic here today. Let me pray for us before we begin. Thank you, God, for the fact that, that you push us a little bit, 
that you nudge us, that you don't allow us to get comfortable, that you make us, in your word, ask some tough questions, some tough questions about ourselves, about the reality of a, either a genuine relationship with you or something that we've presumed for years. God, I pray that this morning that you would work behind the scenes, that your Holy Spirit would be present and active even in this room. God, I feel the weight of this even myself, knowing that I'll be held accountable for the gospel that I present. I pray that you would speak through me and that you'd move and work. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, the text, if you guys have been following along, we're in James 2 now, and uh, we're looking at verses 14, and we're going through the end of the chapter. 26 is the end of the chapter, so we're going to start, guess where? Verse 14, and you'll know we're done when we get to 26. Pretty simple, right? And so, so we're working through the, this, this section of Scripture, and it basically paints three different types of of faith. We're going to see, get a glimpse of three different types of faith. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, pre-descriptor of each. A dead faith, demon faith, or the last, dynamic faith. A good Baptist uh, three-point outline. They all start with D, so I feel like that worked out well. And so we'll start in the text here, verse 14, with taking a look at dead faith. What does dead faith look like? Verse 14 in chapter 2 of James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? We're in a world that's full of big talkers, right? We're in a world of people that, that, that speak a big game, but when it gets down to it, the reality of their works don't necessarily line up with their actions. I thought it was interesting here. It says, if someone says he has faith. Big talk doesn't really mean a whole lot, right? What if, what if I told you that I'm going to become a professional boxer? I told you that, you know, I've watched a lot of different fights over the year in junior high. I had a few fights of my own. And, and now I, I've noticed that Pacquiao has lost a couple times. I think I'm ready. You know, I, I have a pretty good grasp of the, the whole idea of a left, left, right, right? Isn't that how it works? And maybe a, a, a uppercut here or there, a few jabs. I think I'm ready. You know, I, 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 I believe that because I have an intellectual understanding of how this whole thing works, you stand in a ring with another man and you punch him more than he punches you, like that I'm ready to go, right? And, and so I think so. so. I've got one fan. Uh, but how, how true is that here in the text? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, an intellectual understanding, what is the point of that? There's going to be lots of people, to my understanding in Scripture, that have this idea that they have faith, but it's pointing out in the text almost sarcastically, it says, but does that, but you don't have works, can that faith save him? Matthew 7, 21 Jesus speaking, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Pretty powerful passage. Pretty convicting, thinking through, man, what does it say there was the, the, the determiner? But the one who does the will of my Father. The one who does, there's an action piece to this. There's a partnership between faith and works. They can't, they can't, enter, you can't have one without the other. There's a principle throughout scripture. What we actually do reveals who we are. What we actually do reveals who we are. And faith that's genuine and saving will inevitably produce good works. If it's a genuine faith, if it's real, if it's really sunk into our core, it's going to influence the way we act, right? I thought it was interesting uh, in here. It says uh, sarcastically, can that, say, can that faith save him? There's almost a tone of like, are you crazy? Are you cra Like, how can that be? You, you can't expect that if there's not works in somebody's life for that to be a genuine, real faith. It goes on in verse 15 to paint the picture of an example of dead, dead faith. It says, hey, let's not just talk about it. Let me show you an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. If it does not have works, it's dead. It's a pretty remarkably heartless example. This, this person that's struggling, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Be warmed and filled. We're surrounded by physical and spiritual needs all around us. I, uh, I have to confess, I tend to be a, a crier. And so it doesn't take a whole lot. My wife can, uh, like, like if, if the notebook, forget about it. Like, like done. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like any, any other men, like manly enough, to, man enough to admit that? Okay, everybody's like, no, I, I, I'm not selling out like that. All right, thanks for leaving me up here like that. But, um, but the, the thing is, is it, it's when I actually stop, I don't cry. I'm not like constantly sobbing, I promise. But, uh, but an emotional movie here and there, a chick flick does me in. But, um, but, uh, but here, here's the, the point. The reason I bring that up is because it kind of breaks my heart that we can find something silly like the notebook to bring a tear to our eyes, but the local news doesn't, you know? Like we've gotten so calloused to the hardships around us and the, and the pain and suffering in the world around us that we'll cry at something that is created in Hollywood. But the reality of a, of a world that's mostly, according to the text, headed to a Christless eternity doesn't move us, doesn't stir us. And, the, and that's what he's pointing out there. He says, man, when you see somebody that's struggling and going through a difficult time and that, that has no influence on you, you're like, well, go and be well, do, do all right. Be, what, what does it say? Go in peace, be warmed and filled. There's a problem there. There's a problem when that's happened to our hearts, when we've gotten that calloused. Thought it was interesting timing. I don't think, well, actually not. This, this week I was, I was with my wife at, at Costco uh, loading up on lots of stuff that uh, is bigger than my cabinets. And, uh, and so, so, so we're there and we're, uh, 
we're, we're, we're picking up, you know, like that 40 roll thing of, uh, of uh, paper towels that you'll use over the next two and a half years. And, uh, and so, uh, but on our, on our way out, and I've been spending time just kind of planted in this, this text, uh, or was it way in or way out? Way in. Uh, we see, we see this, this couple standing right at the, at the entrance. Uh, a couple was a man and a woman and had a, a, a small child in, a, in a, like a carriage thing. Wasn't, well, probably like a two-year-old. And, uh, and, and uh, they had up a sign that said, need help, God bless. Need help, God bless. Because I'm like, man. I can't just drive past this, you know what I mean? Like, like I can't just drive past that. If, if, if that doesn't stir me up a little bit, it's one thing to see a guy that you're like, man, maybe they're, they're manipulating the, the, the situation or whatever, but you're like, man, here's a, a guy and his wife and his child asking for help, and I'm going to go in and, and stock up on toiletries? You know what I mean? Like, there's a problem with that. And so we went and we had a, a good conversation with, the, with this family and we ended up giving them a, uh, well, cash that I had in my wallet, but then also said, well, why don't you stop by the church this week? And we have, we have a, a deacon's fund that we can maybe help out with some, some food and grocery stuff. And sure enough, the next day they, are, they, were, they were there, they're living out of their, their van. Can you imagine? The, the woman's like, I don't know, seven months pregnant and expecting another child. And, uh, and so we got to, got to be assistants, giving them some, providing for some of their needs, taking some steps to maybe help with a doctor's exam, some different things that John and I got, got, I got to do. But, um, but man, I'll tell you what, like how easily it is if you're not paying attention to just cruise right on past that. Cruise right on past that. Like, I don't know. I just, I just feel like in the text here, when he's talking about genuine and real faith, the fact that he points out that example, man, I'll tell you what, I, I, I want to be moved by those things. I don't want to get so numb and so callous that, that, the, that the Holy Spirit doesn't nudge me in those things. It says, he describes it, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. John 15, 5 reinforces this when Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Then I, This is interesting at the end there. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I want to make sure that we as a church aren't living under this delusion that we have, that, that, that a faith without works is possible. There's no such thing. Scripture doesn't allow for it. It needs to invade our life and influence the way that we act Otherwise, we're just dead folks walking. My wife had a, a job in, in high school, which we joke about, where she uh, had this after-school program, and she got signed up. I don't know how she ended, ended up in this, but she got signed up working at the local morgue, and she was the one that was putting makeup on the, the, the folks before uh, the, the funeral. And so we still, I'm like, wow, talk about worst high school job ever. <laughs> And uh, I mean, I'm sure she's still scarred from that. But, uh, 
but uh, so but she she said, but man, I got I got really good at this, you know, like I like she was able to to do the makeup, get the the eyeliner just right, and before you knew it, like it looked like they were still like they're just taking a nap, you know, and, and and how true is that when you when you end up at I know some people are like that's cre- creepy, uh, it is, <laughs> um, but uh. But I was thinking about that of, in context here, how true of, of us, if we're relating to this text, if we're just kind of doctored up, fixed up, we've got, the, we've got the Christian makeup on, it's not really changing the way we act or live, it's dead faith, it's dead faith. And that's exactly what the, what the picture he's painting here. So the intellectual faith, something that where it's just based on knowledge, you know of Jesus, you know of his resurrection, but it hasn't transformed the way you act. Moving on in the text, verse 18, so we first get this picture of dead faith. We get to, to another one that takes the next step further, verse 18. This one I would describe as demon faith. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Listen to this verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Sarcasm. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's like, wait a second. Demon faith is this is that they, they have even an intellectual understanding and even an emotional response. What does it say that they do in response? So they understand, I, I bet you a demon could sign the ABF statement of faith here because doctrinally they understand all of these things. They understand the, who God is, they understand the Trinity, they understand even what Jesus' death on the cross meant. But did, but, but did they embrace it? They, they even, it says in the text that they believe and they even shudder. There's even emotional response. They're exposed to that truth and they're like, whoa, like it caused a shudder in the, in the de- demonic world. But how true is that of so many believers that maybe they understand it intellectually? They can even think back to a time at a camp where they had an emotional response, but it never really transformed the way that they act and the way that they look and the way that they think, the way they'll respond to situations, it's still, miss, it's still missing something. So the second picture of, of demon faith is, is that, is the understanding that, uh, that, that there's even a genuine fear. To me, it's crazy to think of how few people have like a, 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 a reverent fear of God. Like the fact that you have the, the God of the universe, like that, that at any moment could like just stop us from breathing, like end our life. You know what I mean? Like stop that nice little organ in there, that thump, thump, thump. You know what I mean? Like, like it's surprising to me the, the, the degree of disregard to almighty creator God that we have in the, in the world around us. Even the, the demons have an acknowledgement of, of who he is and they shudder in fear at him. But is that genuine faith? Is that genuine faith? It doesn't look like it in the, in the text. So demon faith is the second kind. So first one that, is, that he points out, the dead faith, intellect alone, demon faith, where there's intellect and emotions, but stopping there. James now in the next section 
turns his attention to a faith that actually does, fa- that actually does save us. I describe that as dynamic faith. Are you guys ready to turn a corner from demon and dead? Are we okay with that? You're like, all right, finally. Okay, so moving on in verse 20, we actually get a look of what a dynamic faith looks like. Verse 20 says this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? <laughs> I love how tactful uh, these texts are. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called, I love this, a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Not by faith alone. This, this dynamic faith that we see in the text there includes all three. Intellect, emotions, and our will. Actually, the whole man, every part of him. It's, it's not something that's kind of a partial thing. It describes there, it says, faith was active along with his works. He gives the, the illustration of Abraham, who was a, a hero in their faith, saying, man, there was a partnership that happened there. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't one versus the other. One required the other. One was made evident. There's a partnership I grew up, uh, well, I guess not grew up, but I guess in my last 10 years, really enjoyed, although there is some inappropriate parts of it, but the show Seinfeld. Anybody else watch a few episodes of Seinfeld? Maybe I just need to take my pastor badge off when I just claim that. Uh, But I, I really enjoyed the partnership that Kramer and Seinfeld had. You know what I mean? Like they, like they just played off of each other really, really well. And I love every time like uh, Seinfeld came in or, or Kramer came into the room like a, a bolt of lightning. Do you guys remember the show? Am I the only one that watches TV here? Uh, okay. And, uh, and, and so, but I remember coming in like, I mean, they were hilarious. You always saw Jerry had almost like when he was acting with him, he almost had like this little smirk. He was just holding back from like cracking up laughing at Kramer. Did you guys notice that? Like, I was like, oh man, he's on the verge of laughing and losing it right now. Uh, just because they had just like a, a good blend. There's the partnership between the two of them that worked. And then, and then when uh, Kramer left, like and tried to do things on his own, like he derailed, you know, like they, they needed, the, the, they needed that partnership. And, and, and so here in the text, I don't know if that's a good illustration, but, um, but, but uh, some people are like, where did you get land on that? Sorry. Uh, but the idea of a partnership of when, when those two things are working perfectly together, this whole idea of intellectual understanding and grasp, like you're rooted in God's word, you know it, you get it, you believe it. But then when, when it actually turns into dynamic faith is when it actually starts to shape the way you live, the way you act, the way you think, the way you respond to confrontation, the way you respond when somebody points out an area of sin in your life, the way you, re, you know what I mean? Like it, it shapes everything when you have dynamic faith. The, and he says, it was a testing for, for Abraham and it showed that he believed in God and, it will, and his faith was completed by his works. It was completed by his works. 
We have no idea when that, that testing in our life comes, but it does come. I will attest to that. It comes, and we get to see, has that faith actually taken root? Taken root. Tell you what, all this stuff in, in school world is just blows my mind, the craziness. I was reading this illustration of the, someone in Columbine. You maybe have heard this story. I'll read it just briefly. Columbine killer pointed his gun at Cassie Burnell and asked her the life or death question, do you believe in God? She paused. The gun was still there. Yes, I believe in God, she said. That was the last thing this 17-year-old Christian would ever say. The gunman asked her why she had no time to answer before she was shot to death. Burnell entered Columbine High School Library to study during lunch and left a martyr. Crazy. Crazy to think. We don't know when that test in our life will come up. Uh, and maybe it won't look exactly like that. I'd pray that it wouldn't for the majority of us. But there's something about trials that brings out that, that result of like, man, do you have a genuine dynamic faith? Something that's, that's, that's actually forming you and shaping you and, and making a new, creation, a new creation out of you. The outcome of Abraham's obedience is called a friend of God. A friend of God. Because when there's that partnership between the two, it's a beautiful thing. It goes on in verse 25 to give another example. It says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The second example that, she get, that he, he gives here, that James gives, I, I love it, that he gives a, a radical example. Think about it. Three different things that wouldn't have been praised in that culture. One, being a woman. Two, she was a Gentile. Three, she was a prostitute. So it gives, gives hope for the, the, the average Joe like me that, 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 that we can be celebrated like as, as being somebody that's faithful and responds appropriately when those trials come. So it lists all those different things. And it says, that, it says in the text that she was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. She shows and she affirms that she had put her faith in this God of Israel by, by, by coming along in the spies, you remember the story, and, and risking her life to save their lives. It was proof of where her faith had been placed. Because the, the, the truth is, authentic followers of Jesus Christ, they don't stand at the edge. They like fully dive in. They fully dive in. This isn't a, if you, if you don't get this at this point yet, this is maybe new news to you. This following Christ thing is not a halfway thing. This is an all or nothing. Anybody else feel like that? Like I, I feel the weight of that daily. Like this is not a partial thing. If you try to tiptoe along the edge, like you're gonna crash. And so like this has to be an all or nothing thing. You gotta fully dive in. I was uh, with my wife on vacation. This was probably eight years ago. 
Uh, we had uh, a time, someone had passed on a timeshare. Actually, my dad had a timeshare in Hawaii, had let us use that. And so we went with another couple uh, from our old church and we went there and uh, we're just trying to like seize the day. Like it was our first time there all together. And we're like, man, I got to see everything, experience everything. Anybody ever been to Maui? Like fantastic. Like clearly uh, the Garden of Eden still exists. Uh, but we're there and uh, we, had this, we had this brainy idea. You guys are discovering more and more things about me that are probably concerning. But we had uh, th- this, drive, this drive to the road of Hana. Have you guys done that before? And you're just kind of like, like this drive around. It. It's, it's kind of like Mulholland Drive. Um, but so, so we're, we're driving that. And we had this, I was with my friend Tony. We had this idea. We said, wouldn't it be cool if we jumped off of every waterfall on this entire road. So, right? And so I was like, that's logical, right? At, at age 25, 30, whatever it was. And so we stopped every single one and we, we climbed up to the top. We found a route up and we're like, we're going to jump off of this one, jump off this one. And so it was, it was probably not real wise. I mean, we kind of checked the, the depth of the water, you know, making sure it was plenty safe, kind of. And, um, and so this one we got to, though, it was, it was uh, like, we still have a picture of it. I was trying to track it down uh, to be able to show you guys, but it was probably 60, 70 feet up, and we're standing up at the top of this, and there's this group of rocks below us, and we're, I'm there with my friend Tony. I'm like, well, if we get a good run, we're going to have to clear those and make sure we land in the deeper part there. It was so foolish. Like, like yeah, so it wasn't wise. So we're standing up there, and we're like, we, I'm like, I don't know, Tony. I'm like, do you think we should do this? And Tony looked at me and he goes, dude, I'm crazy. I'll do anything. And before, before he finished saying that, he double fist dove it. And so he didn't just jump it. Like he double fist dove it and pulled it off like an Olympic athlete. And I'm left up there. Wait a second. Now it's my turn. And so I didn't dive it, uh, but I did jump in. And so, uh, but, but the, the point being is, is not that you have a foolish pastor, which maybe uh, you do, but the point being, the point being, in our walk with Christ, we kind of come to that same exact edge. Came to that same exact edge where you come to the conclusion like, I can kind of do this part way, or I can just dive in. I can just dive in and fully do this. Like, let it invade every part of who I am. That's my prayer and our hope for us as a, as a body. That's my prayer and hope for myself. That, that, that we'd, there'd be a little bit of, uh, we were at a conference last week, that there'd be a little bit of like craziness in us, you know, where people around you aren't quite sure what to expect, you know? Like, like because you're so radically sold out, your eyes are on the prize to such a degree that people aren't sure. I, I love uh, the, this text. Uh, we're getting a little bit off track, but that's Second Corinthians five thirteen. This is Paul describing himself. He says, "If we are out of our mind, as some way, as some may say, it is for God." I, I would love that to, for people to say about about us. You know, like yeah, they're a little crazy, but man, they really love people well. They really care about people well. They've clearly sold out to this thing. They're not kind of teetering in both worlds. It's a all or nothing thing. Because although it costs us nothing to become a Christian, it costs everything to live as one. Though it costs us nothing to become a Christian, it costs everything to live as one. I'll tell you what, for the folks that that have sold out, I can't 
ever think of a story of, of someone that's, that's like in their, in their later years of their life that they've really given their all, they've given it all to Christ. How often do you hear the story of someone looking back and saying like, you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that quite so wholehearted. You know, like I, I wish I wouldn't have followed the Lord quite so diligently. I wish I wouldn't have uh, uh, gone over to, to serve the, the Incas. You know, like, like you, you don't hear that. You don't hear that person like, with any degree of remorse. But on the flip side, play this out. On the flip side, how often do you hear a person at the end of their days, man, I wish I would have sold out. I wish I would have been more intentional with sharing my faith. I, I wish I would have been more, had more of a eyes on the, the, the needs of a, the poor around me. I wish I would, you know what I'm saying? So th- this, this sellout thing isn't one that you, you look at that you'll ever regret. So I was working through this text. I'm like, this, this dynamic faith, this is, some, this is something that, that it's no turning back, but, it's, a, but it's, a, it's something that we'll never, ever regret. Something that we'll never regret. And so the question, leaving us with the initial question in the text, as we looked where, where, where we're asked in Corinthians 13.5, 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this, this picture that we see in the text of a faith that had invaded to every nook and cranny of a person. This, this faith that, that's pictured in the the, the life of Rahab that meant risking everything to follow you. This faith that, that's, that's painted there in the, in, in the, throughout the text there of, of Abraham who had a dynamic faith that was even willing to follow Christ even to the point of sacrificing his own son. I can't imagine that. God, I pray that we as a church us as individuals would have that degree of abandonment for you. We know that this is a daily decision. We know that we can't do this on our own. But through the power of the Holy Spirit living and working in us, we can be sold out, God. I pray that those of us that have been kind of standing on the edge and doing the halfway thing, that this might even be the marker this Sunday that they fully dive in. There's somebody here this morning that showed up that's never even taken a step of faith toward you, God. I pray that, that they wouldn't leave this morning. If, you, if you're pounding on the door of their heart, God, I just pray that they'd respond, that, they, that, that even at the end of the service, we'd get a chance to talk through this and what this dynamic faith can look like. We thank you for how crystal clear your word is. It doesn't leave us guessing, doesn't leave us wondering. God, you're so kind, you're so faithful to us. We love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope that's a a word of challenge, but also a word of encouragement for you of what that life can look like when we completely sell out. I'll tell you what, we'll have no regrets. I promise you that. I uh, wanted to, before we wrap up this morning, wanted to introduce you guys to uh, someone new. We've been since uh, the transition in student leadership. We uh, have 
been in the process of figuring out what to do with kind of the high school age and uh, the uh, junior high age within the church. And so we, as I mentioned last time we were uh, together, I mentioned that we we're going to be hiring somebody for 20 hours to kind of do both. Uh, and so wanted to introduce you guys to uh, one of those pieces this morning. Uh, Josh Anioho, Josh can come up here, uh, is uh, new with our... <laughs> hey, brother. Good to see you. <laughs> um, Josh is going to be working with our, our high school students, giving focus to our, our high school ministry. So high school students, these guys here, here and, uh, and, and they, they were asking me in advance whether you knew how to throw a Frisbee. And so I, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. And so um, that's a fun. theological question. Just yes. Yes. Very important. It's theological. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so um, we... We, uh, over the last month, we've been going through an interview process with, with Josh. Josh is in the, the area here. The fun thing is, is I knew Josh and his family when I was associate pastor back in Chicago uh, like 10 years ago. And uh, it's kind of fun to see him grow up. He came with a, a church plant here and sh- uh, in, uh, uh, it started uh, closer to the city and moved out to Westlake, but uh, lives in Westlake Village. He's uh, worked with their youth in this church plant that uh, came to an end in December, uh, but then he's also been working over at Oaks Christian School uh, as, a, as a gym teacher and a, a coach for the basketball, uh, uh, basketball team there. And so excited to see Josh bring his uh, gifts and talents to ABF and try to be a minister and try to um, point these crazies in the right direction. And, uh, and so we uh, are excited to have uh, Josh here. And so I would love for you guys have, uh, that if you have, uh, if you're parents of high schoolers, we want to invite you on, on Thursday at the beginning of our, our time together. We're going to have kind of a, a meet and greet, a chance to uh, get to know Josh, a little Q&A time. So you're welcome to hang out this Thursday. But in the, uh, for the next couple of weeks before he's really officially going to start uh, in June, but over those weeks they've been attending here for the church for a while. Uh, make sure you give them a big hug, welcome them to our church, make them feel. Uh, are you comfortable with that? I like hugs, yeah. All right, good. That's great. So we're excited for Josh. Uh, but you guys can pick up. We have uh, these little bios uh, tells you a little bit more about Josh at the table in the back as you're leaving here today. Uh, but just wanted to start uh, just to, before we exit, just to pray for Josh and his new ministry here. And uh, maybe we can have a couple of the elders and leaders and uh, whatnot join me up here. I know this is a little impromptu uh, deal. John, if you want to join me as well, and we'll just pray for Josh and his new ministry, although he's officially starting a little bit more closer to June. So. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for for Josh and uh, his life and just how you've been working and and moving in him and how this has uh, been just a neat way how you've coordinated this and aligned this in a way similar to John Irwin that we just did not necessarily see coming, but your kindness and and grace through this process is clearly evident. We just pray that you'd uh, build Josh up, that you'd use him mightily, God. Uh, that you'd use him to, to really impact not only the students that are here, but the students that are in our surrounding area that so desperately need you. God, we just pray that you'd uh, just build a, a fir- continue to build a firm foundation in, in Josh, just rooted in your word, that you protect him from the attacks of the evil one, that you'd use him uh, mightily, God. We're looking forward to seeing uh, how that's going to play out here at ABF, and we're so grateful for your faithfulness to us here as a church. 
We lay all this before you with great expectation. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. God bless, man. All right, have a wonderful week. God bless you.